2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to be reading verses 16 and 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions, their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Such great words from the Apostle Paul. I even chose this passage uh, to get married to. Um, me, and, me and Beck had the pastor that married us. Um, preach off this passage, and mainly just because this passage is just so beautiful, it encapsulates the gospel, what the gospel is, and our heart for all the people that came to our wedding was, we want them to hear the gospel, we don't want it to be about us, we want it all to be about Jesus, and what a better passage than this, and so the, the resurrection is, is dripping off every word almost in this verse, uh, and what I want to pay attention to is how Jesus, through his resurrection, is in the process of bringing resurrection to the world. And my first point is this, that we, the church, are made into a new creation. That's the first point that I want you to see from this passage. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus is not some odd occurrence that happened in history, never to occur again. The resurrection of Jesus is not something that once it happened, uh, it's never going to happen again, but rather now that it has happened in this world, it's starting to pop up all over the place. It's starting to invade this world and change the way that we view this world. Uh, Jesus' resurrection of the dead was not a revival of a dead body like we see in Lazarus, because Lazarus went on to die. Jesus' resurrection was very different. It wasn't the revival of an old life like Lazarus, but it was a completely new life, a completely new creation. Something new was being done. It was a new kind of resurrection that Jesus invites us not just to look forward to, but to take part in right now, to get involved in right now. Paul says here in, in uh, verse 16, he says that before you were a Christian, you are what he calls uh, according to the flesh. You were in the flesh. And you might be thinking, what on earth is going on here? What does that mean? Before uh, you were awakened to Jesus, if you are a Christian, you were given a new set of eyes, you were given a new set of ears and a new heart. Before that, Paul considers you to be this thing in the flesh. In the flesh. What it means is you didn't know. You were ignorant. You were just with what you could see, with what you could deduce, with what you could understand, and you didn't know truth in a transformational way. You were just part of on your own. Nothing had broken in, no external truth had come in and changed you. Uh, what Paul says in verse 17 is that if anyone is in Christ, and note that phrase, in Christ, that is a phrase that refers to more than just cerebral assent. You might be like, what on earth is that? Well, it means it's more than just knowing facts about something. 
doesn't matter how much you know about the truth of gravity, for instance, if you really believed in gravity, you might start prepping before you had to take a 10,000 foot jump off the plane, because you know what gravity is. But if you didn't really believe in gravity, you kind of just knew about the facts and you jumped out and you went, oh, hang on a second, this thing might kill me. Obviously, that's a silly example, but so many Christians do that. It's amazing. It's head knowledge, but it doesn't mean anything. It's head knowledge, but it doesn't go anywhere. It's head knowledge, but it's not transformation. And knowing the facts of Easter, knowing the facts of what occurred during this time 2,000 years ago, will not save you. In times past, you were thought merely to be a Christian if you believed that God existed. And that was kind of the benchmark some people had for being a Christian. But the phrase, in Christ, means a whole lot more than you might think. And it means a whole lot more than simply thinking something is true. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, this is how we know, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And what we have here is not someone who has merely a correct set of beliefs, but someone who is transformed, someone who is made new. This is someone who has changed into something completely different, something completely new. Paul says here, behold, this kind of more of an old-fashioned English word, we don't really use it anymore, but behold means look, pay attention. It's like he's shaking you and saying, get this through your head, you are a new creation, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And if this is something that you read and you're like, oh yeah, fair enough, and then you just keep reading 2 Corinthians as if you didn't just read some earth-shattering, life-transformational stuff, yeah, we've got a problem, we've got a problem, this is amazing. If this is true, this is amazing. The resurrection of Jesus is not an isolated event, never to be repeated, but an event that once it happened, started spilling over into the world. Men and women from all tribes and nations and tongues began to become new creations. It wasn't something that was to happen merely at the final resurrection of the dead when everyone is risen again and that final day, but something that was beginning to radically reshape the world as it was at the time. New communities were being formed where people made new in the power of the Holy Spirit. By the time that you get to the book of Acts, some people start to accuse Christians of turning the world upside down, these troublemakers, upsetting the status quo. Only a group of transformed people could turn the world upside down. They were transformed and changed by the power of God. In the gospel message of Jesus, this message that we hold dear, the message that's right at the center of everything we do, and we saw in, on Friday, if you were here for the service, that we have freedom in Jesus because of his death. Our sin is now in the grave. But check out 2 Corinthians 3, 17, 18, just a couple of chapters earlier. Listen to this language. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The book of 2 Corinthians is such a weighty book. I'd love to do a preaching series through this, honestly. But just look at the language. I mean, we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Absolutely beautiful stuff we're reading right here. And if you are a Christian, you are being transformed by the Holy Spirit. But it's not merely 
an individual that's being transformed. What we have here is we're, you know, we're very Aussie, we read this, and we're, we're immediately applying it to ourselves. I imagine if you were like me when I first read this, immediately this is all about us. But he says, we all. He doesn't necessarily say you all. It's not singular, it's collective. We all are being transformed into the same image. Well, what's going on? What's happening here? Well, it's through, he says, beholding the glory of the Lord. Beholding the glory of the Lord together as God's people, as his church, we are coming into communion with God and being transformed. The church across all of history kind of understood that God conferred grace to us by three means that you could rely on. God obviously gives us grace all the time and so many different things, but there are three things you could rely on getting grace from. The first one, reading God's word. As you read God's word, you know you're going to be transformed if you have the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the ways that God gives grace to you. The second one is prayer. Obviously, communing with God, praying to God is a way that God gives us grace. But the last one is one people don't often think about, and it's fellowship. It's community with the church. And it's something that the church throughout all of history has known. That the biggest means of grace, one of the biggest means of grace that God gives us, apart from the Bible and apart from prayer, is His people given to you. With all their flaws, with all their issues, that is the thing that God gives to you to uh, help you. And it's we all together beholding the glory of God, and to, because together we are a force to be reckoned with. Together we're powerful. Together we are empowering each other and pressing each other into a knowledge and understanding of God. Together we are able to see areas of sin in our lives that other people wouldn't be able to see. Uh, we wouldn't be able to see. So many times people come up to me and be like, do you, do you realize you just did this? Or do you realize you just said something like this and this offended that person? And be like, well, no, I didn't realize any of that stuff. Thank you for telling me. Uh, together we empower each other. Together God uses us through the Holy Spirit to grow us into something as we together behold the glory of God. God has given to you, Christian, the church. He has given the church to you, with all its flaws, to be a primary tool of beholding the glory of God. So where is the Spirit of the Lord? Where it says here, it's with His church, it's with His bride, sanctifying and redeeming her through His Spirit. And could it be that we have too small a view of God's most precious bride? Could it be that we have too small a view of the power that God has placed within his people? After the resurrection of Jesus, it wasn't an isolated event, but it spilled into this world and it created community. It didn't just create individuals who went home and felt good about themselves knowing now that they were saved. They had a plan. They had a mission, they had a purpose, and together they accomplished it. Together, this new creation, this new kingdom that Jesus had made, was now able to conquer the world. Leads me to my second point. We are ambassadors, not campaigners. Look at verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, 
be reconciled to God. A really important thing to notice about this text. God didn't just give to you the message of reconciliation. He gave us the message of reconciliation. It's to the church that God has entrusted the message of reconciliation. That gospel message to reconcile the world to itself, himself. Who has he entrusted that to? Not just you as an individual. We often think of evangelism and we think about the area around us and all this massive gigantuan task we have at sharing the gospel in Australia with a country that has pretty much moved on from the gospel and we feel like the weight is all on our shoulders and we're like, oh, I don't even want to talk to one person. That would be a foolish reading of 2 Corinthians 5 because it is us together that can accomplish it. The weight is not on your shoulders individually, it's on all of us and together we, you know, what is it, many hands make light bird, I can't remember that. Light work, sorry, thanks, thanks for getting my back there, guys. Um, it's the power of a transformed church, beholding the glory of the Lord that will be the vehicle of God's grand plan for salvation. The local church is God's primary means of reaching the world. And you might think, man, I could think of better ways. You might start thinking like a political campaigner, working for your candidates, getting elected to parliament. And you may be thinking, oh, there's all these different ways we can do it. God doesn't want you to be his campaigner. He wants you to be a herald. And this is just not Australian culture. This is not our way of life. We're just going to be honest about this. Our way of life is to pay other people to do the work for us. That's kind of our way of doing things as Australians. No matter what the problem is in society, no matter what it is, just throw money at it. We've got a government program for everything, a welfare plan, a ministry that you can donate money to. Oh, those people over there that need someone to preach the gospel to them. I know a missionary I can donate money to. Oh, there's this ministry going on in a church near me. I'll, I'll pay money to that pastor to go do it. But heaven forbid that God require me to do anything. I mean, I'm going to pay someone else to do it. That's my role to play within the church. And the sad reality is that churches pay pastors to do their ministry for them. And that is not anywhere in the Bible. I challenge you to find anywhere in the Bible where you can find that sort of message. They pay pastors to do this ministry of reconciliation. They pay pastors to be the ambassadors for them. Not realizing that this job hasn't been given to pastors. It's been given to the church of which a pastor is a member of. The pastor's job is not to bear the weight of the ministry of a church, but to be set apart to equip the saints for the work of ministry. How do I know this? Ephesians 4, 11, 12. Paul, is, Paul says here that uh, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Why did he give them to the church? Not so that they would get on with all the work that the church needs to be doing. No, number 12, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Of course, apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers are going to be doing the work of ministry. But one of their primary callings is to equip you guys to be doing that. Jesus came back from the dead in order to transform human society. And he will not be content until all of human society is fully and completely transformed. Isaiah 53.11 says, Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall abear their iniquities. It says here that out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. He'll see what he purchased, and he'll be satisfied. He will make 
many to be accounted righteous. All the nations will stream to him because that's what he bought on the cross. He bought the world with his blood. When Christians start to act and believe that this world is a world where a man was raised from the dead, maybe it will make a difference. When Christians start to believe that Jesus actually is king of this world and we don't need to campaign for him because he's already won, he's actually king whether we acknowledge him or not. When Christians start to believe that Christ is enthroned in heaven, perhaps other people in our community might start believing it too. The resurrection of Jesus is a call for a sleeping church to finally wake up. It's a call for a church to stir, to stir and to, to rise up. Uh, Ephesians 5.14 Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We are ambassadors. We are not campaigners. We are not working to get Jesus elected. He is already elected. He already is enthroned. He already is king. We're not telling people... Uh, maybe you should try voting for Jesus and then he'll be king of Australia. He already is king of Australia. There's not a square inch of this continent that doesn't belong to him. There's not a square inch in this universe that does not belong to him. He has won everything. He is in control. He is sovereign. Jesus actually rose again from the dead and when the church starts to believe that he's enthroned and sitting at the right hand of God, maybe we'll actually do something. Uh, Doug Wilson notes that one of the reasons our evangelism tends to be quite impotent is because non-believers are simply reflecting our unbelief back at us. We don't really believe what we're talking about. And people seem to pick up on that. We say to them, implicitly, either through word or gesture or grimace, nothing I'm saying to you is true unless you believe it, unless you vote for Jesus, unless you come on board it will remain untrue. Let us say, well, I'm an unbeliever, so I think I'll stay where I am because I'm pretty good, thank you. I don't believe, you don't seem convinced, I'll just stay where I am. But Christ is risen. Let us act as though he is. Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Let's start acting as though he is. When you believe this truly, and when this finds a place deep within your soul, deep within your heart, you'll start to understand the stakes. You'll start to understand what's going on. You're going to start to understand that it's urgent. That people are dying and perishing without Jesus and need him. People are going to fall into the hands uh, of the living God. And Hebrews says that's a terrifying thought to fall into the hands of the living God. And we need to implore people, be reconciled. You need to be reconciled. This is your chance to be reconciled in this life. This is what we're trying to do. We're imploring people. We beg people. We plead with people. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. This is the ministry that God has entrusted to us. The ministry of reconciliation. We're bringing people to God through the message of the gospel. God is making his appeal through us. And if that is true, well, we need to remember this. Third point is that God has set the terms for the reconciliation. We don't set the terms. If you're like me, some of you might be feeling fired up. Like, point me to the hill. I'll take the hill. Even if I have to to die on that hill, just send me, point me, I'm going to go. Others of us, well, we might be feeling a bit overwhelmed. Like, he's landing on me right now. I'm feeling the weight of the task set before me. You know, I'm I'm only hanging on by a thread. And this thought of you just now adding extra things to my life is going to make me never want to show up to this church again. 
But there are some others who are just completely apathetic. They're cold, unmoved, hard as stone. That's why we need to look at this last verse. Verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ is freedom. And if you hear my message and you feel like I'm laying heavy burdens onto your shoulders, you're forgetting that in Christ is freedom. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Don't forget the gospel. Don't start thinking, oh man, I better start doing all this stuff or I'm not a Christian. Your acceptance before God is not dependent on whether you have been obedient to God. Your acceptance and justification before God is not dependent on whether you even have your life together. Your acceptance and justification before God does not matter whether you're on a nice edge or whether you're struggling through life or whether you've been in the pits for a long time. God made him to be sin who knew no sin. This changes everything. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you are in Christ, you are made righteous in the here and now. You are a new creation right now. Stop waiting for some future version of yourself to be that person. Or else you'll be waiting until you're resurrected from the dead. You're resurrected now. You are a new creation now. You are a new person now. You are free now. Everything has been done for us. The reconciliation is already done. The debt is already paid. If your heart isn't melted by this, I don't think you're paying close enough attention. If this isn't something that just totally, oh, just like changes you, well, you're not paying, you're not thinking hard enough about this. Now, the world says, go and do all these things, and maybe I'll accept you. We do that to each other all the time. If you're a little weird, some of us might not want to, uh, it's a bit awkward, we don't want to do that. You know, you've got to perform to a certain standards if we're going to be friends with you. God is not like that. That is not God. Our hearts tell us, even, obey God, and then maybe one day he'll accept us. But we've got it all wrong. It's a complete wrong way around, isn't it? In Jesus, we're already accepted, no matter who you are. It doesn't depend on anything that you've done. It doesn't depend on anything that we've done. It doesn't depend on any good on us but the love of a Savior. It's only in Jesus, because if Jesus saves you, it doesn't matter who you are, you are a new creation. He made him to be sin for you, to bear that sin, to swallow up that sin, to take it to the grave. It was for our sake. And it was all grace. It was all undeserved. It was all pure, unadulterated grace. And when you grasp this, when you understand this, all of a sudden, everything I just said earlier looks very different. Everything I said earlier is easy. And this ministry of reconciliation that God has given to you is easy. Because Jesus' burden is light. It's freeing. If you feel terrified at the thought of sharing Jesus with someone, the solution is not to tell you to stop feeling terrified. The solution is not to say, oh, I'm such an idiot. Oh, I wish I was like these other people. Oh, I wish I could just go do this thing that this other person had just gone done. What you need is the love of your Savior to cast out your fear. If fear is controlling you, you don't need more fear to pile on top of it. 
like trying to punish yourself, trying to tell yourself you're not good enough and maybe that'll give you the kick up the bum to go do it. What you need is love. This is what you need. You need Jesus. And we will start to transform our community when we begin to become a transformed community. When our hearts are so captivated with the gospel, when our hearts are so in love with Jesus, God will make his appeal through us. Be reconciled. A reconciled community starts with a reconciled life. And so my challenge is this. How do you view the church? Perhaps you should start to view the church the way God does. His bride, whom he loved and died for, who he purchased with his blood. Do you think Jesus takes his bride lightly? That he's like some husbands, he's like, oh, the old ball and chain over there. That's not Jesus. He loves his bride. The church is God's redeemed people, reconciled to him and entrusted with the message of reconciliation. Do you love the church? Because Jesus says, they will know you by your love for one another. It's your love for the church. Jesus loves his bride. And so what's your place in that? Do you feel that that is true for you? Are you reconciled to God? Are you in his church? And if you're in his church, are you an ambassador? Because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have put this little outpost of Christians here in Brankston who are in love with Jesus, who love the gospel. And Father, we need more of you. Lord, we need to behold your face more and more together as we are transformed from one image of glory to another. For my brothers and sisters here that know you, that love you, that have committed their lives to following you, but their hearts have grown cold, and somewhere along the way they have lost their direction that you've given to them. Lord, I pray that this would be the day they do something about that. I pray this would be the day that they do not forget their first love, but they see you just as a husband sees his wife walking down that aisle, and he can remember that day with such joy. Lord, you love your church. And once we loved your church, more than we do now. Help us to love your church as you do. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are not sure whether they know you or whether they've been reconciled to you. Lord, would your spirit be firm on their heart, telling them to be reconciled to God. Help us to implore people to be ambassadors to do this work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.